This is Brian Oaks, and I'm a sales agronomist for CHS Ag Services in Erskine, Minnesota. We are pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network, CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Wednesday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Randy Conan, along with Whitney Pittman. We'll also hear reports from Don Wick and Sierra Doctor. Well, on a vote of 290 to 137, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a bill that would head off a looming railroad strike. The legislation binds the railroads and its unions to a proposed settlement that was approved by eight of the 12 labor unions. The call for more paid sick leave was a major sticking point in those negotiations. That bill now moves on to the Senate. China has begun to lift COVID restrictions in two major cities after protests against some of the world's most strict lockdowns. The lockdowns have disrupted global supply chains and have had major impacts on markets. The data has shown that China's manufacturing and services activity for November were the lowest readings since Shanghai's two-month lockdown began in April. The National Corn Growers Association applauding the introduction of the Consumer and Fuel Retailer Choice Act to the U.S. Senate today that would ensure permanent full market access to E15. The new legislation has drawn support from agriculture, fuel, and retail stakeholders. Several Midwest governors have initiated state-by-state -state solutions, but this would provide a permanent solution on a national basis. Many decisions for next year's crop have already been made. Farmers are meeting with Ag input suppliers at the Northern Ag Expo to shore up those plans. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Don Wick has more from Fargo. Going into 2023, farmers may want to prepare for possible drought conditions. DeKalb Asgro technical agronomist Grant Maring believes the easiest way to do that is through your seed choice. That is one thing people are planning for right now. They're like, I want one more hybrid of corn or a soybean variety in particular that that will handle lower than normal rainfall. Because on my farm last year, it was that kind of corn or soybean that did well, given that the rain really kind of shut off in, in a bigger swath uh, 4th of July or in that July range. So yeah, there, there are definite trends towards a little bit of more droughty hybrids or varieties. And I think that's a good plan. 2023 is setting up to be a big corn year. There are several reasons for that. One, we came off a really incredible corn harvest, even given the challenge of not having much rain in the second half of the year. Yields were right there and it was a fun, dry harvest. The corn was dry. Two, the, the big board, the futures board, looks like it's going to, going to be profitable to grow corn again in 2023. And three, coming off of somewhat of a preventive plant acre year, there, there were enough preventive plant acres in North Dakota, in Minnesota, in, and that trends towards those crops like corn, maybe wheat, that, that go on those acres. So yes, given kind of like that combination of three things. And then fourth, just the conversations we're all having at DeKalb about, about corn seed, it is going to be a good corn year in 2023. The Northern Ag Expo wraps up at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Attendance has been down for this year's show. Reporting from Fargo, I'm Don Wick on the Red River Farm Network. Red River Farm, Farm Network farm broadcaster Sierra Doctor also at the Northern Ag Expo. We're here at the second day at the Northern Ag Expo and here with Martinson Ag Risk Management uh, Market Advisor Randy Martinson. Randy, let's talk first about South American crop. What are we seeing over there? 
Well, so far, Brazil has seen some pretty good growing conditions. It's not, you can't quite call it ideal, but it is pretty good. Uh, they haven't seen any big hiccups in, as far as production. It's getting a little dry in the southern regions, but nothing major at this point. It's something that needs to be watched. Argentina, on the other hand, though, continues to be extremely dry. They're looking at problems. They're not getting all their crop even planted, and that's running into a little bit of trouble. Their, their wheat has been described as being disaster at this point, and they are looking at, of course, lowering their production potential for uh, corn and for soybeans, mainly because of the lack of acres being able to be planted because of how dry it is. You talked a little bit today about a market outlook for wheat. How's global supply? Well, global supply for wheat is tight. I mean, you know, you look at it, we're sitting probably, I think, in terms has it at the lowest in 15 years right now for its global stocks, and that's taking China out of the mix. So we are tight as far as wheat supplies are concerned, and it's not going to help with Argentina seeing problems, Australia's having some problems, the U.S., our winter wheat crop isn't in good shape. Trouble is, is that, you know, the demand for the U.S. wheat hasn't been very good. It, it's been stable, but nothing fantastic. You know, we kind of get to become the supplier of last resort, and that's still an issue that we're seeing. So that's part of what we're seeing that's kind of holding our wheat price down. I think our higher dollar is doing its job and slowing our exports, but I do think that come spring we could see a little bit of fireworks just because if the winter wheat crop continues to be in trouble, we're going to need to buy spring wheat acres. I know we touched on a little bit of everything, but is there anything else you wanted to add? You know, I, I think right now, uh, you know, I'm not looking for much to happen here for the end of the year. We're just kind of already in the holiday doldrums as far as the market is concerned. You know, we have to be careful on some uh, big events that take place, like a missile hitting Poland that shoots the market up. Those are going to be the kind of things that are going to cause this market to have some pretty big movements. But overall, I would expect a little calmer pace once we turn the page to uh, 2023. I think then we could start to see some fireworks in the markets. Thanks, Randy. That was at Randy Martinson with Martinson Egg Risk Management. Reporting agriculture's business, I'm Sierra Doctor on the Red River Farm Network. Titan Machinery is reporting a record fiscal year third quarter revenue at $669 million, an increase of 47% year over year. Gross profit for the quarter at $140 million is up 21% year-over-year. Titan's agriculture segment revenue for the quarter is reported at $493 million compared to $281 million a year ago. Net income for the quarter is reported at $41 million. Chairman and CEO David Mayer says strong performance in each of Titan's business segments contributed to the record quarter. While equipment revenue is a primary driver in terms of third quarter growth and dollar contribution, increasing 85%, we are especially pleased with our parts and service business, which really shined in the quarter, increasing revenue by a combined 48%. Taking into account the higher margin profile of the parts and service business relative to that of equipment, this strong growth was a significant driver in our ability to achieve these record quarterly earning results. For more information from the Red River Farm Network, visit us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find stories, podcasts, and more at rrfn.com. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Wednesday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. The weekly report from the Energy Information Administration uh, for the week ending November 25th showed ethanol production down 23,000 barrels per day from the previous week to 1.01 million barrels per day. Ethanol stocks up 100,000 barrels to 22.9 million barrels. Van On and company market analyst Christy Van On says the wheat and corn markets are being held back by a lack of export news. 
just not a whole lot of information for wheat or corn to get it going. If we could get some sales drumming up in corn, that would be great. Um, there is some news on the backdrop that potentially Mexico's president did say that they'll allow GMO corn for feed use, um, but they want a panel to see what GMO corn does to uh, human consumption. But that seems to open it up, and we have to remember a couple years ago, China was consistently our number one corn buyer. And so if we could get some more sales out of there, that would be great because we are lagging behind where we need to be for export sales. Demand for corn and wheat is also lagging. We do have the chance of some information coming out later from EPA about ethanol, uh, also long-term E15 nationwide. So there's some stories on the backdrop for corn, but nothing has materialized. And so, therefore, it's stuck in this rut that just seems to not be able to get anywhere. And then with wheat, we have back-and-forth stories about Russia and Ukraine, but nothing really major right now. And so you're just not seeing any movement out of those markets. The two-sided grain trade continues with a range-bound market. Corn Belt Marketing market analyst Sam Hudson expects wider trading ranges to develop. You're not, not necessarily get out of a range and break out. I think it's a little too early for that. But I think we could start to see an expansion of that range. Uh, and you know whether or not we can make a push all the way up to $15 plus here right now uh, you know, may depend on you know, not only what we get from USDA next week, but also some of these outside markets. And from there, you're really going to start to see that South American forecast start to take over as we get into the end of the month. Hudson doesn't think labor issues with the railroads are playing a role in this market. I sit here and I have to believe that, you know, all efforts are going to be made that, you know, there won't be an actual shutdown. I think it's just the catastrophe, you know, coming out of that for the entire supply chain, not only the grains, but just a lot of other things, um, you know, would just be pretty detrimental to the, to the economy in general and, and wouldn't help facilitate any, any further negotiations anyway. So hopefully they can at least avoid that part of it. You know, it's unfortunate that it's, uh, you know, come down to the 11th hour. You know, you, you don't want to see that happen, but on the same breath, when you, when you see how, uh, how much these railroads have contracted, you know, their employee base, and, and, you know, you just hope that they can give them what they're asking for in terms of sick days. It doesn't seem like a big ask to me when you look at every other industry out here, but here we are. The deadline to apply for pasture, rangeland, and forage insurance is tomorrow. NDSU Extension Forage Crops Production Specialist James Rogers says PRF is a great tool for producers to mitigate forage loss risk. It's a really good tool for uh, reducing risk associated with forage production. And in North Dakota, you know, we've had a history of drought for the last few years. So it would probably be an advisable if, if a producer has not taken advantage of this opportunity to at least contact a, an insurance provider. There's a list of insurance providers also on the USDA website, or a producer can Google search for insurance providers locally. Every county in North Dakota is eligible this year, but surrounding states can check their eligibility online. Again, a producer can go to that USDA website, and it, they can quickly uh, click through the options there on that website and find out if their county is um, eligible for this insurance protection. The tools can be found by searching Pasture Rangeland Forage Insurance Program on your favorite search engine or by contacting your local USDA office or NDSU extension. North Dakota will swear in its youngest le legislator in history on December 2nd. 
18-year-old Dawson Holly is a fifth-generation dairy farmer from western North Dakota who was elected to represent North Dakota's District 31. Holly said he decided to run for representative because he wants to do more to ensure the future of dairy farms in the state. I decided to run for the state legislature because there's only 42 dairy farms left in the state of North Dakota. And I was chatting with my grandpa one day. We lose, on average, one to two dairy farms every year. And I was like, we need to change something or we're not going to have dairy for generations to come in North Dakota. So that's why I decided to run for the legislature is to get in there and write some agriculture policies that can help dairy in North Dakota for generations. And Holly, currently a freshman at the University of Mary in Bismarck. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Welcome to Inside Agriculture here on the Red River Farm Network. Registration is open for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association annual convention that will take place February 1st through the 3rd in New Orleans. Executive Director of Meetings and Events for NCBA, Kristen Torres, says there are a lot of reasons for cattle producers to attend. Producers should really consider attending for the benefit of their operation, really. There's so much to learn and see and do there, get the latest technologies and products and services in the trade show. Um, in addition to that, we have a full lineup of education with a Cattlemen's College program. And then on top of that, we like to have a, a little bit of fun along the way and give people an opportunity to connect with others in the industry. And that in itself is invaluable. And take a break from their operations. Honestly, it's a, it's a great opportunity to um, take a much-needed vacation as well. Torres also says the opening general session will feature popular television series Yellowstone and 1883 producer and creator Taylor Sheridan, who is a cattle producer himself. We have a great lineup of speakers this year. Um, so this year also marks the 125th anniversary of NCBA in the convention. So you'll see some celebrations throughout the week for that. But we're going to kick off the convention with an exciting session that will be with Taylor Sheridan from the television show Yellowstone. He's going to do a little fireside chat with our president, Don Schiefelbein. Um, he's a producer himself and just hearing things from his point of view and really just talking about the history of NCBA in general and the history of the beef cattle business, um, that's going to be a fantastic session. To find the full lineup of events, speakers, and registration details, visit convention.ncba.org. Checking markets before we leave you. We're 8 to 13 higher in Minneapolis wheat. The winter wheats are up 15 to 18 cents. Corn is down 1 to 2 cents. Soybeans trading 11 to 11 and a half cents higher here at midday. Canola in Winnipeg, $10.90 a metric ton higher. December live cattle up 40 cents. February is up 77. January feeder cattle, $2.20 higher. March feeders, $2.15 higher. The uh, December lean hogs up $2, and the February lean hogs are $1.47 higher. Dow Jones Industrial Average currently 150 points higher at 34,003. Thanks for joining us. Have a great afternoon. This is the Red River Farm Network.